0: Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving
1: change in their organizations. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and we're continuing with our uh, series of conversations related to how technology is helping respond to the coronavirus crisis. It's my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Sara Vaizy, Chief Digital Strategy Officer of Providence Health. Sara, thank you so much for setting aside some time and welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, Sara, Seattle has been ground zero for the coronavirus epidemic in America. What's life been like for the last few weeks? So, you know, we've
0: been at the unfortunate leading edge of the pandemic for quite a while now. Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett, which is just outside of Seattle, had received the first coronavirus patient in the United States. We have been dealing with this for about a month now. It's been just a tremendous you know, kind of coming together of Providence across every department, every function of the organization under the leadership of uh, Dr. Amy Compton Phillips, who is our chief clinical officer and, you know, multiple times per day, emergency operations command huddles on various issues to, to tackle this. So it's been a busy month of doing whatever we can to help our patients, our caregivers, our broader communities, which includes other you know, community partners as well as other health systems. So it's been an extraordinarily busy time where a lot of the best has come out in folks in terms of the service that we, that we provide.
1: Right, thank you for sharing that. And I have been following some of the uh, extraordinary steps that you've taken uh, as Providence Health to respond to this crisis and some extraordinary humanitarian stories, as well as stories related to how a large health system can come together to respond in a very coordinated way. So if I may ask you this, what has been the single biggest challenge in your view in responding to the the pandemic? How has Providence addressed it so far?
0: It's very difficult to pick one. I think... One thing I will say that holds for everything that I will be talking about today is that things are changing. They're so fluid and we're learning a lot along the way, but it's a really quickly evolving situation and it's different for every city and county and state and each have diverse needs and diverse sort of manifestations of the situation. So just dealing with Dealing with that has been an interesting challenge to deal with. There's also just basic stuff, like we're all bracing ourselves for the volumes that we're afraid will result from from this pandemic. So there is quite a bit of sort of consternation out there about this. It's sort of two sides of the same coin. Our biggest concern is supporting our frontline caregivers while they deliver high-quality care to patients in a very difficult situation. And so that's,
1: I would say, if I were to summarize it into one sentence, that would be it. As you said, uh, there isn't a playbook for something like this. uh, And with a constantly evolving situation, and all indications seem to be that we haven't crested yet as far as the uh, the pandemic itself is concerned, as far as the United States is concerned. And so... It's going to be challenging times for everyone. Now, coming to some very specifics on this, you know, everybody's talking about the shortage of testing kits, and PPE for frontline healthcare workers. And as, as you pointed out, that is kind of top priority for a health system to keep your healthcare workers, especially at the front lines, safe uh, so that they can deliver care and also take care of themselves. And I know that uh, just looking at all the media reports, and also, uh, some of the announcements made by Providence Health. You've taken some very creative approaches to addressing some of the shortages uh, in the near term. Can you talk to a couple of those maybe and just to help our listeners understand how you respond on the fly to these kinds of situations?
0: Absolutely. And this is, you know, credit to, again, our clinical teams who have been amazing. Our chief quality officer. Jen Baersdorfer had a, an amazing idea for the 100 million mask challenge. So in response to the shortage of PPE in particular masks, she pulled together this effort and engaged the public around making PPE and masks to protect our caregivers. They found a template, they found you know high quality supplies And then our digital team supported them in getting engagement around that cause by putting it on a website and asking for volunteers. We were so overwhelmed with the enthusiasm and just outpouring of support from volunteers that we actually, we didn't need as many volunteers as we got. And part of that was due to some local companies coming out and working with us and saying, you know, we'll make masks for you. We were a furniture company before this, but we think it's important and we'll sew surgical masks for you um, using this this template and these materials. So that was an incredible that was just like such an incredible, it was very creative <laughs> in terms of making the most out of available resources, volunteers providing their time and organizations really just stepping up and supporting us. That was by far one of the more uplifting experiences that we've had throughout this whole thing.
1: Yeah, that's an amazing story. I'm sure we're going to see many more like that emerge in the coming weeks. There's a lot of creative repurposing of our existing assets and resources across the country to deal with this. Uh, you know hotels are being converted into yeah. mixtures, hospitals, for instance, you know big arenas. Uh, I live in Chicago and United Center, which is one of our biggest arenas, has been converted into a a logistics uh, hub for dealing with all the supplies and the logistics uh, required to support this. So, I think we're going to see some amazing stories uh, come out of this. I want to talk about one thing that I think you've personally been involved in. You started a GoFundMe program to help impacted residents. Now, just switching the attention for a moment from the healthcare workers to residents in the Seattle area. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Uh, sure. And this was a, again, sort of a volunteer run effort between many of us in the digital innovation team as well as population health where we really wanted to focus on homeless shelters and services, and homeless individuals who receive services from those organizations. There was, as you can imagine with a situation like this, those places had significant challenges with getting disinfectants, having enough funding for buying food and other supplies for the folks that use their services. So several of us volunteered our time And we're able to, in a very short amount of time, again, thanks to the broader community and all those who participated, from 80 donors, we received over $22,000 that we distributed to 56 shelters across three states. And those shelters provide services to almost 500,000 people. And we were able to do that in just a matter of three days from start to finish. So it was in the interest of supporting our most vulnerable populations, we pulled that together and it was just a really, that was the brainchild of Dr. Rhonda Meadows, who is our chief population health officer at Providence
1: well wow, that's an incredible story and thank you for for sharing that so i want to switch tracks a little bit and talk about the technology side of it can you talk to us maybe about how your virtual care models have kicked in in response to this crisis especially telehealth and anything else that you may have either built or repurposed from what you already have in responding to this crisis and also talk a little bit about you know what kind of adoption rates in terms of numbers you've seen, you know, how's the technology itself held up? Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Absolutely. So I'll focus primarily on what the digital innovation group has done. And before I start with that, I'll say our IS colleagues have done a tremendous amount of work on a whole host of other technology related things like standing up drive-through clinics, making iPads available to patients in the hospitals who are isolated, working closely with our physician enterprise to get thousands of providers who were providing care for established patients like chronic disease management care and things like that, getting them onboarded and ramped up on virtual visits. They've done just an incredible amount of work throughout this whole thing. I won't be focusing on what they've done quite as much. And I'll talk a little bit more about what the Digital Innovation Group has done from a patient-facing standpoint, but I just want to highlight that they are absolutely at the forefront of everything happening from a technology standpoint, and their efforts are running in parallel to everything else that the organization is doing. So they've been incredible. But from a patient-facing standpoint, we've done a few different things. I'll give you sort of the quick overview and rundown first, and then we can dive deep into each one. First, we have stood up a an assessment and FAQ chatbot, whose name we call her Grace. And she does quick assessment by asking simple questions and triages patients to the appropriate next level of care, whether that be just you know stay at home and rest or conducting a virtual visit with a provider. So that's the first thing. The second thing is really scaling up our virtual capacity for those same day sort of use cases with folks who have concerns about COVID, whether they've been exposed or they may have other risk factors. And that virtual visit capability has just seen tremendous ramping up over the course of the last few weeks. The third area is patient home monitoring. And for subacute patients who are either, you know, PUI patients under investigation or have tested positive but are not exhibiting the symptoms that would require them to be inpatient in the hospital. We have sent them home and are monitoring their conditions closely remotely. And then we've done a lot of work around just a hub for consumer education and things like live locations for testing and and things like that. So those are the primary activities that we've engaged in from a digital team standpoint. And I can tell you a little bit more about each of those. So starting with Grace, Grace is our chatbot, and we call her Grace because we are a Catholic healthcare system, but Grace was a chatbot that we had made investments in for a couple of years, actually. Those investments that we had made, we were able to leverage, very fortunately, for COVID-19 specific use cases, meaning Patients who had, essentially, we stood up a pathway that was with specific questions and workflow tied to COVID-19. So things like, have you traveled to a specific place that may have made you at higher risk for contracting the virus and a whole host of other questions? we were actually able to create the country's first virtual assessment tool for quickly and safely assessing patients for COVID-19. So in the first few weeks, we helped over 70,000 patients and had over a million messages exchanged between patients and the bot. So it's been, you know, just a tremendous way to touch a lot of folks and in particular keep One, the worried well, give them some peace of mind and keep them in their homes, which we all know is very important, and then get folks who may need more sophisticated care and in particular care by talking with a provider live, get them triaged into virtual visits.
1: That's an amazing story. Now, I I can imagine, you know, I've talked to other health systems as well, and the the self-triaging but it serves two purposes. One is, of course, it prevents an overwhelming of the system when people start calling in in such large numbers. And secondly, of course, it you know triages them to the right and the appropriate care. And I imagine that at the back end, uh, you're having to put uh, the clinical community through a new set of maybe training or orientation to responding to what's coming in through the triaging tool, for instance, and then appropriately you know, responding to them What has been the challenge there? you know, have you had to invest quickly and and a lot of training, uh, you know, are providers comfortable with this mode of operation, you know, overnight, you went from seeing patients to not seeing them anymore in at least in flesh and blood. How did that feel?
0: Yeah, so I'll tell you a little bit more about virtual and then we can get into this topic about training, which is an important one. So when folks get triaged into virtual visits, they get triaged into what we call express care virtual, which is part of our, express care is a clinical service that we have, which is part of our ambulatory care network. And they have been able to get, you know, over 50 providers who are just servicing express care. So these folks are very specifically focused on express care. And in this particular case, they've been trained on, you know, those same day use cases and in particular virtual. So we have been working with them really closely to, through our product team, they provide uh, training and, you know, how to pull up the the dashboards on your computer and just making that experience frictionless not just for the patient who is accessing the virtual visit but also for the provider who is delivering that care. So they have stood up an entire customer success essentially team to be able to get our providers onboarded and trained for those same day virtual visits through Express Care Virtual.
1: I want to share an anecdote with you my daughter who uh lives uh, in the city. Uh, she came down with a cold and a, and a mild fever a week and a half ago. And uh, you know, obviously, the first thing that we, we told her to do was to schedule a virtual appointment. And it took her a day to actually get to speak with a doctor, even through a telehealth visit. So I imagine that even with virtual models in place, even with the triaging in place and the tools in place, there is still a feeling of maybe getting overwhelmed just because of the sheer volume of you know, cases, all your routine cases, which would have come in anywhere, but then you layer on the COVID-19 cases on top of that. How has the system responded in terms of volume, you know, express care? Is it still same day care, even though you've switched to virtual or have the goalposts shifted a little bit?
0: It's an interesting question and it's got kind of a couple different answers. On the operational side of things, you know, there's significant Challenges that the ambulatory care and the express care team rose to those challenges to find, you know, those the large number of providers to staff those visits. On the technology side of things, the volume that is coming through the platform is. 10 to 15 times greater than what we had seen prior to the pandemic. So, we saw more volume in three weeks than we had in the entire previous year. And that has been a very interesting challenge in terms of the model, as you put it. So, previously it was on demand telehealth. And now what we're seeing is almost like a on-demand virtual visit. And now what we're seeing is like a virtual urgent care or like a queuing model. And patients do wait in a waiting room in order to be able to access those visits. Now that it's not a one day wait time, but they do sit in a waiting room in order to be able to access it. So it's almost a new model of care as compared to what we had previously.
1: Interesting, and I'm hoping that you know it'll flatten out once we climb out of this uh, this crisis, and then uh, hopefully we'll we'll go back to some level of normalcy, if you will, whatever, (laughs) however we may define normalcy going forward.
0: An interesting point, though. I do. There's a lot to be said for the adoption of technology potentially being accelerated through this process, given that patients are now the behavior is potentially different because they've now experienced a new form of care, a new modality of care that they otherwise wouldn't have. And it's unlikely that it'll go back to completely the way that it was and revert to the pre-pandemic days. This has also, of course, been facilitated by a lot of regulatory and payment changes. And it's also unlikely that those will fully revert back again, just because we're all getting used to engaging in a different way. And so the hope is actually that things like telehealth will be more ubiquitous in the future and that folks will be able to, like we sort of have this opportunity to meet patients and customers where they are with some of the enablers in place too, like payment and like the regulatory environment having
1: changed. Yeah, one of my previous guests said that uh... With every crisis, a new opportunity arises. So maybe telehealth and virtual care models is what is going to be going forward. So switching to one more topic here, which is you know the dramatic jump in work from home employees, right? So I'm sure you know, like every other business, every other enterprise across the land, you have seen your you know remote workforce double or triple or whatever the number is. So can you talk a little bit about what were the challenges, and I know this is probably more IS function kind of responding to you know, set them all up remotely and so on. What have been the challenges? Have there been more technological or cultural or, you know, can you talk a little bit about that?
0: You know, I'll comment a little bit on both. From a technological standpoint, uh, Providence is a, uh, we have a strategic alliance with Microsoft that is led by our IS team. And I will say our utilization of Teams, Microsoft Teams has just been through the roof. It has saved us in so many different ways. And we have used it as a collaboration platform across the entire organization. And it's been tremendous. So that's been, you know, just from a technology standpoint, I'm sure that all of these collaboration platforms have been strained to the full extent that they possibly could be, but it has really served us well to um, have been up on Teams and be able to utilize all of its functionality from its video conferencing, of course, but also to like spaces and, you know, collaboration spaces and a lot of the sort of SharePoint integration and things like that. So, so that's been really, really helpful for us. And we use those for things that are cultural in nature too, like virtual social hours and happy hours and things like that with the team just to reconnect. And we've put some best practices in place, like actually having video um, when we are talking with each other in meetings so that we can ensure that folks are engaged and that we get to see each other's faces. It's not a requirement, but it is definitely something that we try to encourage. So we maintain that closeness while we're social distancing.
1: Yeah. We're coming up to the end of our time here, and I, and I just wanted to uh, touch on one more topic. You know, I know the Providence uh, Innovation Group has a significant portfolio of investments in uh, digital health startups that have... Uh, developed a range of innovative solutions. And I'm just curious to know how this crisis has impacted them one way or another, and, and what are some of the things you're seeing and how are they responding to it? Maybe you can talk about a couple of your portfolio companies as, as illustrative examples.
0: Absolutely. You know, I think I would say across the board, they've all risen to the challenge with various creative solutions for how they can help. So that's been really heartening and just a, a great thing to see. I'll comment on a couple of our portfolio companies. Uh, Zelth, which is a digital prescription platform and an integration mechanism into the EMR, and Twistle, which is a digital pathway company that we've partnered with both of them, both in an investment capacity from a portfolio company standpoint, but also of course, Providence was the home for Zelth when it was incubated. And Twistle, we've worked with them for over two years prior to making an investment. They are working together to provide that core platform for the home monitoring that we just talked about. So Twistle is the pathway that patients use to input their data, and that alerts our providers when a patient needs additional care. And Zelf has been the mechanism by which Twistle has integrated into Epic for us. So they've been tremendous partners. And Zelf has also done some really other separate innovative things around, for instance, Kroger grocery delivery and making that available for patients directly to them. So, you know, they're all doing really interesting and kind of creative things and um, have done them very, very quickly. So again, I think what this crisis has focused all of us and just the sense of urgency has made things go 10 times faster than they ever did in the past for all of us.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know what? That is the sense I'm getting uh, from uh, digital health leaders, other health systems as well. If anything, some of these uh, programs have taken on a sense of urgency that may not have existed prior. And the power of the technology to actually dramatically change the way you deliver care and uh, also do it in an efficient, uh, cost-effective way is becoming more and more evident. So, as you're aware, my second book was about to come out. It was on digital transformation that I was co-authoring with Ed Marks, uh, former CIO of Cleveland Clinic. We'll put it on hold for now, we are actually going to write in a new chapter on how the digital health landscape is transformed as a consequence of this crisis. And I hope to come back to you and maybe uh, request introductions to to some of these portfolio companies of yours to, to really understand how they change their product roadmap uh, or you know, turn on a dime, if you will, to respond to this crisis. But thank you for sharing those uh, examples. Well, we've come to the end of our time. Anything else you'd like to share with us, uh, Sarah, before we close the podcast?
0: Thank you for having me, and thank you for continuing to spread the word. If you know what we just want is for all of us to rally together to marshal our resources and manage the situation as much as possible. So folks should feel free to reach out and learn more about how they can leverage what we've already done.
1: Thank you, and that is indeed a part of the purpose of these uh, series of uh, what I'm calling the Coronavirus Conversations. I want to be able to spread the word of how health systems across the land are responding to the crisis, and and our hope is that someone somewhere is picking up something useful from this conversation. Once again, I want to thank you for your time, Sarah, and uh, look forward to staying in touch.
0: Likewise, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at